We'll go ahead and turn with us over to James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Is the scripture we'll be reading. You want to read it in your, in your Bible. We also have it up here on the screen here in the morning. But uh, we, we've spent the past couple of weeks, past five weeks in the book of James. And this will make the sixth week we're here. As we went through it from, from the first chapter. And, then, and this morning we're getting into the fifth chapter. Reading here what James is writing to the early Christians um, that were Jewish converts that, that have embraced Christ as the Messiah, as the Lord and Savior, as the one that was prophesied to come and to provide redemption, right? To provide fulfillment. He wasn't everything that some of them expected to be. Some of them expected a, a, a earthly king. Somebody, some of them expected one to sit on a throne here on this earth. But we understand from Scripture why he teaches us that his throne, his kingdom, is in the hearts and, and lives of men and women, right? Those that love him, those that are following him, those that have accepted him. And that's who James is talking to. James is talking to the, to the people that come from a Jewish background that have now accepted Christ as the Messiah. And ultimately, we know that these people weren't in the best of shape right at this point. They weren't in the best of situations. They were going through hardship and trials, persecution, difficult situations. But James is writing to them. Difficult times, words of encouragement, others words of challenge, words of, of conviction, saying this is what you need to do. But he is helping them through his words and through the Holy Spirit to, to navigate this season, this part of their lives. Amen. So as we continue talking about this man named, named James, we're going to talk about faithfully, how we can faithfully pray. This one, to faithfully pray. Amen. So here's the scripture, James 5, 13 through 18, reads like this. It says, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. The effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again that the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Amen. This is James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. And um, to, to make sure we understand, we will be speaking on, on prayer, teaching on prayer this morning. Amen. But I feel a lot, I feel led that before we dive into earnestly talking about prayers James is talking about, we need to, to confront this reality that we face, this reality that comes across in all of our lives, that reality that the answer isn't always yes, right? There is a harmful doctrine in the church world today, not necessarily maybe in, in our church, but, but in the church world in general. This idea of believe it and you will receive it, this idea of if you have enough faith, everything you ask for will come to be. Right. This is an idea that is pervaded into church culture, into televangelists have, have preached this. There's books written on it. People have, have taught this. And many people earnestly believe this. That if a prayer is not answered is because they lack faith in some place. That they lack some earnest belief that God can do and work and move in this situation. And that the prayer was not answered because of some fault of theirs. Right. But that is not what James is referring to. Many people point to the, the scripture where it says the pr faithful prayer, the prayer of faith will do this. But that is not what James is, is talking about, right? What we understand is that your level of faith doesn't always determine the answer to your prayer, right? What we can always go to with this is Paul. 
Bible says that Paul was a faithful man, a good man. He even refers to himself. He says, I, I'm a Jew amongst Jews, right? I, I know the Word. I know the Scripture. I did everything I could to follow the temple when it was revealed to me that that wasn't the way that God desired for me to live my life. I completely changed everything that I did to follow after the Lord, to do what He desired for me to do. I went from community to community, town to town, Put my was put in jail, was persecuted, was tortured, was stoned. All these things happened. The Bible tells us that there came a season in his life where he said that he had an affliction. He called it a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, right? That's pretty strong terminology that Paul is using. This isn't just something he was having a bad day. This is just something that something just really wasn't going his way. This was something that when he woke up in the morning, this thing was irritating him and driving him mad. When he laid down at night, this thing was just torturing him. It was torment to live with what this is. Some people say it might have been an illness. Some people say that it could have been all kinds of things. It could have been, you know, some part of the temple that was always chasing him, pursuing him, trying to do to him what he did to many others. But whatever it was, he said, I prayed. He said, I prayed for three seasons that this thing would be removed from me. Prayed for three seasons that God would do something in this, move in some way, work in some way, change this situation. He said, it didn't happen. He said, it didn't happen. We never see anywhere in Scripture where Paul didn't deal with this thorn in the flesh where Paul was relieved of this thing that he was dealing with. This is Paul, the one that wrote a good number of the books in the Bible, the one that helped establish the early church in several, in other continents, not just the counties, not just other areas, other continents. This is Paul. If there's anybody who had enough faith that their prayers would be answered no matter what, you would think that Paul had that faith. But we see it wasn't a matter of Paul's faith. Right. What we must come to terms with, accept, and understand is what John tells us in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. He says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him we often do is we ignore this. Right. We say, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything, He hears us. We skip right over that, glaze right over it. We don't understand it, we don't comprehend it, we don't want to listen to it, whatever it may be. We skip that and go into it. He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we have asked of Him. What John is clarifying is a common misconception that would pervade the culture and the church at that time and a common misconception that we still have in the church at this time. That prayer ultimately is a fulfillment and will always be a fulfillment of God's will in our lives. His will takes precedence over anything else in our lives. Right? Think of it this way. Harper's still a young child. Um, one day maybe she turns 16 whatnot, gets older she says daddy I want a Mustang or a Ferrari or something I don't know and uh, I think yeah that'd be great for you to have that but it's not the will of her father to give her that Mustang or Ferrari because I understand some things that she just doesn't understand for herself there's prayers that we pray that are good prayers. 
well-intentioned prayers. From the, 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 from the flesh, from our earthly view, seem to be good in nature, may even seem to be spiritual in nature, that are not answered. Even though we came and approached it with faith, and earnest honesty, desiring of God to do it, and it's not answered, even though we believed it to be good. There might not be anything wrong with Harper having a nice car when she's 16. She ain't going to get it from me, but she might, you know, there's nothing wrong with that if somebody else wants to give it to her. But her daddy, her father, sees things, knows things, and understands things that she does not yet comprehend. And though he might love for her to have that, he might love, God might love for your prayer to be answered in this moment. But He knows that later on that's not really what you need. He knows that later on there's something else. There's things that He understands. There's things that He knows. There's things that He is trying to work and, and put into place that just really don't jive with that. And He says, there's nothing really wrong with this prayer, but it's not what, I, what my will is for your life right now. It's not what my will is for this situation. It's not what my will is for this time. It's a good prayer. I understand why you prayed it. I get why you lifted it up. I get why you called out for it. Jesus Himself prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, I would that this cup would... Pass from me. Nothing wrong with that prayer. But he said, not my will, Father. But thine be done. Jesus is like, you know what I want. And the Father's like, I know what you want. And he's like, trust me, I want that too. He didn't want to see his son go through that. And just like he didn't want to see his son go through that, he doesn't want to see us go through some of the things that we face in this life. He doesn't want to see us to bear that burden sometimes we face. But He has a will and a way that is higher and above our will and our ways. It says His thoughts are above our thoughts. That we in our carnal flesh cannot comprehend the mind of God. And because of that, the answer isn't always yes. Don't read what James is saying to misconstrue it misunderstand it. That if it's because you pray it in faith, you'll receive it. It's not what James is saying. John clarifies that misconception by saying, according to his will. According to his will. Do I always understand the will of God? No. Will I always understand the way he, why he answers the way he does? No. Will I understand it on this plane of existence? Not always. But I know it's His will. I put my faith that it's in His will. I can't put on somebody and say, oh, because you didn't pray enough, or because you didn't fast enough, or because you didn't have enough faith, or because of this and that, your prayer wasn't answered. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. There is nothing in that that will help anybody, but it will cause harm and damage and damage people's understanding and faith in God. Because it's like, why would God do that that way? Why would God make the make the burden on me? Why would God make me be the one that has to do this? Why, why does I have to be good enough to do that? And God says, it's, it's not what that is. Just sometimes my will isn't what you understand or comprehend or want. And I'm thankful, though, that we can leave it and give it and have faith in God. When the answer is no... Even though you prayed and fasted, did everything right, you made sure that sin was out of your life, you, you, you did everything, that you, you put all your faith in everything that, yeah, that was asked of you, and you believed God for this thing more than anything that you ever believed for Him in life, and it still came no, we can have confidence and trust that God is doing something beyond us. 
working something in a way that is beyond us. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't come. We don't comprehend at all times. Amen. But we still pray. Right? I want you to think. There's times in our life that we send up prayer requests. And it seems like all we get from our prayers is no. Have you been through a season like that? That it, you prayed for a little thing, you prayed for a big thing, you prayed for a thing that, that you know, long-term prayer that you had, a thing that you just prayed for today in the moment that something was going on, and it seems like no matter what prayer you prayed, how after, however often you prayed it, it seems like it always comes back no. You prayed and you prayed and it's, it's like nothing. Never get yes. You never get what you prayed for. Nothing ever comes to fruition the way that you thought or dreamed or hoped that it would. And maybe you get to a point where it's like, why do I even pray? Why do I still even call out to God if everything I pray for, nothing gets answered, nothing comes about the way that I hoped it would, my prayers never get heard, is what the devil tells us, that God doesn't care about your prayers, it doesn't matter if you pray, God's going to do what He wants to anyway, it's going to happen, whatever's going to happen anyway, prayer doesn't change anything, and, and we begin to believe that after a time, right? Remember who James is talking to. James is talking to a people of the early Christians that had no doubt had seen family members that had been killed, tortured to death, crucified, hung, destroyed in front of the town, right? They have been through persecution. They have lost everything. Some of them had to leave town in the dead of night just to protect their children, just to try to find someplace else to hide for a time, to try to find someplace else to worship for a time, to get away from it for a time. This is those people. No doubt they prayed that things would have been different. No doubt they prayed that so-and-so, mommy and daddy, whoever it was that they loved that believed, would be, would be taken away from this, wouldn't have to go through this, would be able to be saved from this death that they were facing, and they still were persecuted. They still watched them die on a cross. They still watched them die in whatever way that the, the people had decided at that point. And what does James say? He says, pray. Even though what you've been praying isn't always been answered, pray. Just keep praying. That's what this whole scripture is talking about. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Personal prayer, right? Pray for himself. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Sing psalms is just a way of giving thanksgiving, a thanksgiving prayer. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, praying for each other, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James ties prayer to the forgiveness of sins right here. He's saying, pray. He's, he's not ignorant to what they've dealt with. James isn't sitting on some high throne getting everything that he wants, being fed, being fed, you know, grapes and stuff by people that are worshiping him and stuff. James was going through these difficult times too. James had lost brothers and sisters of the faith too. James was persecuted as well. And he goes through though and he says, pray. Pray. You didn't get a yes last time. Pray again. You haven't got a yes in months and weeks and years. Pray again. Just pray. Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, reads like this. It says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications. Paul is talking to Timothy. Only he is establishing with Timothy, this is how church is supposed to be done. This is how a relationship with God, a relationship with the church is supposed to be handled. He says, Therefore I exhort first all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving the thanks, giving of thanks, 
be made for all men. We talked about it in Sunday school a month or two ago. Um, I filled in for Gilbert one time. And this is what we read. Paul is giving Timothy, he's saying, these are the four ways to pray. Supplications, prayer, intercessions, and giving thanks. Four ways that we should have conversations with God. Because that's all prayer is, right? That's what we tell young people. And sometimes we get older and we think prayer is something else. Prayer is just a conversation with God. And Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying, these are the conversations you should be having. Making supplications, crying out with pleas to God. Prayers, just talking with God. Intercessions, making intercessions for other people. Going to bat for other people. Making prayers for other people. And giving thanks to lift up praise to God for what He's done. These are the four, four ways that we can pray. Ultimately, what we understand is for everything and for every season, there is a reason and a way to pray. Understand that. For everything, whatever you're going through, and in every season, no matter what part of life that you are in, there is a reason and a way that we can have a conversation with God Almighty. Amen. No matter what you're facing at the time, no matter what you're going through, no matter what struggles abound around you, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how good you feel, no matter how young or old you are, there is a reason and a way that we can talk to Jesus. No matter how often you feel like your prayers haven't been answered, no matter how much the devil has convinced you that praying doesn't make a difference, that there's no reason to cry out to God, no matter how much that you've been battered by life and it seems like you've got no help in sight, there is a reason and a way to pray. Amen. When the answer is no, even though you prayed and fasted, we can still pray. In the morning and at night, we pray. When things are good, when things are bad, we pray. When we're young, when we're old, we pray. When things are going our way, when things aren't going our way, we pray. We still pray. We still lift up the name of the Father. We still cry out to Him when things aren't going well. We still ask Him and give supplication to make intercessions for Him when things seem difficult and when we're going through hard times. We still pray. If these people, after going through all the persecution they went through and suffering all the things that they suffered through, still got down and cried out to God and prayed to Him even though it wasn't going their way, we too need to still pray. Still lift up and call out to Him. Still give supplications and thanks and prayers to Him. We still pray. Told not to pray, we still pray. Difficult time to pray. They ain't not got no time to pray. Still pray. Pray. We talk about prayer in church a lot, right? We go and we have we start off our services. That's what we do first. We go until we, we enter into the into the house with, with prayer and thanksgiving. That's what we're told in scripture. We pray, right? But how many of us that's the only time we pray? Do we how many of us just don't pray? We just listen to Gilbert pray. Right? We get up and everybody gives their prayer requests and everything like that. And then I point to Gilbert, I point to Mark, I point to David, I point to somebody, and I say pray. And then we just listen to them pray. And we let their prayer represent our prayer. No! You pray! You pray! 
the Catholic faith is based on this idea that we have they have the prayer, but then you go to somebody else and that person kind of talks for you, right? That's a, that's one of the premises of the Catholic faith. We see that and understand that, right? And they have script, they they have they have an understanding that's their interpretation. But what we understand from Scripture is that I can pray for myself, and that you can pray for yourself. That you can have a conversation with God no matter where you are at, no matter what your, your season in life is, no matter what's going on, you can just stop and you can pray. And you can just talk to Him. That you don't have to let Gilbert lead the conversation with God and you're just a bystander, right? You pray. Amen. You talk to Him. We can still pray. Jesus has been off this earth for 2,000 and some years. We can still pray. There's not a soul alive right now that walked on the earth with Christ as when He walked on this earth. But we can still pray. Not one of us know what the face of Jesus looks like, but we can still pray. Not one of us understands the persecution that the early church went through, but we can still pray. But do we still pray? Have we got to a point in our church culture and society and the world that we live in and that prayer has just become some kind of traditional thing that we do some of us we you know we're used to going to church maybe at the holidays or whatnot and at christmas time and we sing these songs right we talked about it at christmas time there's a few songs that we only sing at christmas because of tradition it's not because they don't have relevance the rest of the year they're talking about a savior that was came and born into an earth that loved us and died for us right that seems very relevant in spring and summer, fall, no matter when, not just at Christmas. But certain songs have become a, almost synonymous with this is what we do at Christmas. And that's when we do it. Right? If somebody's singing, you know, Joy to the World in summertime, everybody thinks they're weird. I fear that, that prayer is getting pretty close to sitting in that same kind of category. That it's something that we reserve for church. It's something that we reserve for the worst of times. It's something we reserve for special spiritual moments. It's something we reserve that we get together at Thanksgiving or Christmas and we have somebody say a prayer. And that's that's what prayer is. And that's the fullness of what we think of prayer. But that is a limited, watered-down, debased form of prayer. That's not... That's really not prayer. I mean, we call it prayer. And I'm honest, it's not It's not the prayer that James is talking about. It's not the prayer that, that John is talking about. It's not the prayer that Jesus even talks about, right? It's not a conversation. It's a tradition. It's something that we do in a certain way at a certain time. I talked about it before. I was raised in churches, and I learned how to pray. And I can pray a pretty prayer. Man, I, I go anywhere. Any dinner, people are like, there's your prayer person. They'll pray. We went to dinner at Christmas time, and I didn't know anybody there. And they said, you look like a prayer. And they said, you pray. And I prayed, and they came and said, that's pretty prayer. But that's not prayer, right? Real prayer isn't pretty. Real prayer is filled with tears, and snot, and crying, and moaning, and groaning, and just guttural cries from deep within us. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, this is paraphrasing, that the Holy Spirit can interpret the moanings and the groanings of my heart. That's prayer. Prayer's not saying pretty fancy things and sounding good while you're doing it. Prayer is ugly. Prayer is, is 
torn up, getting down to the basics of who you are and ripping everything aside and saying, I am broken. I am weary. I am mourning. I am hurt. And I pray. Do we still pray that way? When was the last time you prayed that way? When was the last time you even shed a tear while praying? We don't do it here. When Gilbert gets up and pray, I mean, I see it. We don't, we don't just break down in tears while Gilbert's opening his up in prayer. We don't do that. We go and we bless the, the food out here when we go and eat at Easter or Christmas. I don't look back. None of you are shedding tears. None of us are groaning from the depths of our being because of our prayer. Do we still pray that way? Do we still pray that way? morning and the night when we're sick when we're well when we're doing good when we're doing bad when we're young when we're old when things are going right when things are going wrong we need to pray but do we still still pray that's what he says right that's what he says there he says goes through all of it he says the answer to all of it was let them pray let them give thanksgiving prayers of thanksgiving let them others pray for him let them pray for forgiveness. Let them, let them pray. And we have the freedom and the ability and the privilege and the right to pray. But sadly, we don't pray. We don't cry out. We don't groan and mourn. Carrying a burden for something in our life is something that is a foreign idea to the modern church world because that would be uncomfortable. And that would be difficult. We talked a couple weeks ago about that. That really James is commanding us and, 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 through, and Jesus through him to throw away comfort and personal desire and to take up the cross. And taking up the cross oftentimes is paired and goes hand in hand with deep, broken prayers. Man, but we pray because it's effective, Right? So what he says in verse 15, it says, Confess your trespasses one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It avails much. All you might have been getting is no's up to this point. All you might have felt like your prayers are answered with no, not right now, that's not my will. And you're just torn up and you're... And you think it's not doing anything. That's, James says it avails much. It might not have got the answer that you wanted in the time that you wanted, in the way that you wanted, but God still worked on your behalf because of your prayer. God still interceded in some way, in some fashion, in some form because of your effective, fervent prayers. If He says that it avails much, and we know there's, not, there's no lie within Him, then your prayers matter. Your prayers make a difference. Your prayers change something. It might not change the thing that you want it changed. It might not change it in the way that you wanted it changed. But it does great things and it avails much when we talk to God. Men. But as we, as we kind of close with this, James is telling his people, he says, pray together. Right? Pray together. Once again, confess your trespasses to one another and pray 
for one another. Pray for one another. If we had to rank our prayer requests that we heard this morning or that we kind of gather over a couple weeks, most of us should probably put our prayer requests at top, right? The thing that we brought, the thing that we carried, the thing that we're going through. But what we can see throughout Scripture is that Jesus and these other disciples oftentimes prayed for the other. We see Paul was in jail. What did he do? He says, I pray for you. I pray for this church. I pray for the church in Corinth. I pray for the church in Galatia. I pray for the church with Ephesus. I'm chains. I'm in jail. I'm going through difficult times. But I pray for you. I pray for you. He viewed what they were going through as just as meaningful and as important as his own burdens and his own things that he was bearing and carrying in his life. And would we that we would try to view the requests of others as just as important as our own requests. Right? Understand this. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ. So we each, each member has a, has a role, a, a meaning, a purpose. And we come together to make the greater whole, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and go out to the world and do what he desires for us to do. But you think of your, your earthly body, and if your foot is hurting, it doesn't affect the eye's ability to see. Right? I mean, my foot, I, it could be broke. Dave, Dave broke his, his heel, you know, last year sometime, right? But from what, what I know, he might have been seeing red for a few minutes, but after a while, he could see just as good as any other time, right? But your foot got to a point to where you couldn't get around, and it couldn't fulfill the role that it was meant to fulfill. And though it didn't affect the way that your eyes saw, it did affect the amount that your eyes saw. See what I'm saying? He could still see. Still see the faces of his kids, of Megan, you know. He could still see his room. You know, I don't know where he was laid up in for a while, but he could still see that. He could still see all those things. But he couldn't see the amount that he once was able to see. His eyes couldn't perceive what he was once able to perceive because he was in a place... And limited because his foot was able to fulfill the role that it was supposed to fill. You might be an eye. And somebody else's grief and pain and suffering might not affect your ability to do what you're supposed to do. But as a church, somebody's pain and grief and they're suffering... Ultimately, if we don't lift them up, if we don't surround them, if we don't encourage them, if we don't help them along the way, it will limit what we are able to do as a body because a part of us is hurt. A part of us is not what it needs to be because of what they're going through. Because of that, what one part of the body is going through should be just as important as if it was that part of the body going through it. The eye should be just concerned that the foot was hurt because it realized, man, if, if that foot's not hurt, I can't see the flowers when they when they bloom in spring. I can't see the beets in the summer. I can't go and see the leaves change because I'm stuck in here because the foot is hurt. So I'm going to do everything I can to help the foot. 
I want to lift the foot up. I want to pray for it. I want to surround it with prayer and help and be everything I can to be because it's part of my body that I'm a part of. Unique and individual, filling different roles, but we're part of the same unit. And that's when one person suffers, it ultimately affects the ability of the whole body to do what it's meant to do. The enemy attacking one part of it, you might say, well, that has nothing to do with me. But it does. Because we are one. We've been brought together. Scripture tells us, the Bible says, he's with God, he says, what man has put, what God has put together and all men put asunder, right? We talked about that. Marriage, right? We, that's quoted so many, you know, things like that. He has put our church together. And what God has put together in our church, we need to value we need to see the worth of it. We need to be there for it and lift it up and encourage it and not let our ignorance or uncaring feelings tear it apart. So we pray. We pray together and we pray for one another. And that's what we are called to do. He says, I didn't, I didn't bring it up to this, but he says in one verse, he says, if, if one of you is, is sick, let him call the elders. And come and pray for Him. Pray for Him. He is emphasizing the importance, not just personal prayer. I'm thankful to God that we have the ability to talk to God on our own, right? But He's saying, man, He says there's something sweet, and there's something pure, and there's something powerful. When you pray for somebody in their situation that has no effect on you, that you could live your life and their situation never change and never get better and you might not even notice it. But you still prayed for them and you still lifted them up. That's what he's talking about. He's saying pray for one another. Lift each other up. Do it together because we are called to do this together. Others' concerns should be our concerns. I'm at fault of this. There's times where a prayer request is given on Sunday and I get in the busyness of going through the service and whatnot and by the end of it, I can't tell you maybe the name of the situation. I can't tell you what the person was going through. I might be able to say, yes, so-and-so had a request, but I, I, don't, I don't quite remember what it was. And I don't pray for that. Yeah, that's, that's just your pastor being being honest with you, right? I mean, and that's we've talked about busyness being destructive and the enemy using that, and that's one way he does it. But we don't pay attention as much as we should. We don't prioritize things the way that we should, and we, we pay attention to certain things and not other things and whatnot. But that's not how it should be. We should pray for one another like we would pray for ourselves. We should pray for other people's loss like we would our own loss, right? We should pray for other people's sick like we should our own sick. We should pray for other people's diagnosis like we would our own diagnosis. We should pray together and we should pray for each other. Talk to God about this. Amen. So what I'm going to do, um, Hunter, over there in the corner um, by those flowers, there's a stack of papers and some pens. Uh, bring those and uh, put them here on the altar. Um what we're going to do um, is I want us to prioritize praying for each other, right? 
And um, it's something that's come up in conversation before. Um, I'm so thankful for all the uh, people that are stepping up to serve in different ways. But, but I also understand some people are at a stage in life that they can't serve in youth. They can't come to food pantry what and whatnot. But we can still pray. Amen. We all have a role and a purpose in this church, in this body of believers, right? And this, so this isn't just for, this is for everybody. But what I want to encourage you to do, if you have a prayer request, right? Prayer request that you're comfortable with, you know, people knowing. You know, and you could put what you want to and what you don't want to. Um, I want you to come in and I want you to write it down. Um, and I want you to leave it here at the altar. Pray for it while you're here if you want to. Write it down and go over to your seat, whatever you want to do. But I want you to write the prayer request down. We're going to do this over the next couple weeks. Uh, and by the 1st of April, we're going to have a prayer list. Um, we'll put it in the message group, but we'll also have it handout because I know everybody doesn't have that. Um, and what I want you to do, especially for all of us, but especially if, if you feel like you're in a place where you can't fill a role, you can't serve, you can't come help with youth, you can't help food pantry, you don't feel like you fill a role on Sundays or whatnot, I want you to take this prayer request, or take this list, and I want you to realize this is your ministry. This is your ministry. Your life keeps you busy and you can't be here, but every now and then, this is your ministry. You just don't know how to deal with kids. You, you, you probably end up slapping one before you help to meet Jesus. This is your ministry. Food pantry, it's just hard for you to, to do that time-wise or ability-wise. This is your ministry. For those that, that you do all those things, this is your ministry too. But we are to pray. We are to still pray. Nowhere in Scripture does Jesus say, okay, there comes a time where the prayer isn't going to be necessary for the church. No! We still need to pray from the bottoms of our heart, from the depths of who we are, to groan out and cry for those that are lost, for those that are burdened, for those that are hurting, for those that are, that are in a, a difficult situation, for those with diagnosis, for those that are going through all kinds of pain and torment. We need to pray. So we're going to pray. It's great to say, Lord, take care of all the situations that are going on. That's fine, right? But when you put a name to it, when you put a face to it, when you recognize their situation is real and relevant, then we pray in deeper ways. We pray in more effective ways. We pray in more passionate ways. We pray more consistently. We pray more fervently. And what do you say? The, the effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man does what? Well, as much. So let us pray. Man, I've talked about the kind of church that I, I hope that we are, right? Life, soul-saving church, life-changing serve. I want to be a praying church, man. Praying church leads to these other things. We talked about James is a blueprint to revival, right? That's what it is. And here he's closing down his book. And what does he close down with? Prayer. Prayer. There's two other verses after this that we'll get to next week. He's closing it down he says... Pray. 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 If you're sick, if you will, pray. If you're sad, if you're happy, pray. If somebody else is sick, pray for them. If you're lost, pray. If you got sin in your life, pray. Pray. Pray, pray. Pray, pray, pray. And then pray some more. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. That's crazy. But it's 
what we're commanded to do. So as we close, if you have something...